0: All right, so 2 Kings chapter number 2. 2 Kings chapter number 2. This is going to kind of tie up our prophecy series. We'll have the evangelists next week, and then the following Sunday, I'd like to uh, begin a series on Sunday nights on our confidence being in the Word of God and looking at some specific passages in regards to uh, the Word of God. But 2 Kings chapter number 2, Uh, We are looking at the end of the life of Elijah. Now, I say that with some qualification because, in a sense, his life never ended here on the earth. He didn't experience death. So he is one of two men who never experienced physical death. He was taken straight into heaven and I'm thankful uh, for the uh, the reading. I appreciate Derek uh, reading the passage. And we, we we know the story. We're at the end of Elijah's life. He has served God faithfully. And we see then this transition from uh, the prophet Elijah to the prophet Elisha. And so 2 Kings chapter 2 and verse number 9 is kind of our 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 launching pad for uh, this message tonight. And it came to pass when they were gone over that Elijah said unto Elisha, ask what I shall do for thee before I be taken away from thee. And Elisha said, I pray thee, let a double portion of thy spirit be upon me. So Elijah has served God faithfully. He was a man with feet of clay. He had gone through a period of discouragement, of spiritual depression, He had gone way, way, way south down into the desert. He had asked God to just take his life. God spared his life. God ministered to him, met his physical needs, and restored him spiritually as well, and continued to use Elijah. He had won a great victory for the Lord at Mount Carmel and the prophets of Baal at one point, thinking in his time of discouragement, thinking that he was the only prophet left. And yet there were 7,000 prophets who had not kneeled to Baal. And so we come to the end of Elijah's life. We don't have time to rehearse all of uh, his life and all of the events. But we come to this point where he asks a significant... Of, well, Actually, it's, it's Elijah who leads uh, in, in the question a significant question... What shall I do for thee? Verse number 9. He speaks to Elisha and he says, Elisha, ask, what shall I do for thee? So Elijah leads into the question that he wants Elisha to ask. And he's basically saying, what do you want me to do for thee? What do you want me to do? How can I help you? How can I minister to you? What can I do for you? We typically... Expect that when we go to a place of, uh, of, of service where we need service done. I was taught, I did retail for one of my first jobs in, in high school, besides delivering newspapers. I did, I did newspapers for about six years uh, two years in the afternoon and then four years in the morning. Learned a lot through delivering newspapers. But my first Outside of newspaper jobs and, and mowing yards, was working at a swimming pool store near 38th and Georgetown Roads. There on the west side of Indianapolis. Now I wouldn't recommend anybody uh, work retail at 38th and Georgetown now, but back then uh, it, was a, it was a much safer place than it is now. Uh, anyway, it was, it was it was it was it's an interesting it's an interesting area now. Drive through there occasionally, and uh, it's, it's not what it, what it used to be. But I have memories of working that swimming pool store, and I was taught customer service. Somebody walks into the store, you don't just let them mill around for too long. You go up to them, and you say, how can I help you? Is there anything I can help you with? And I didn't know that uh, God was, was training me through that, preparing me for even ministry and for other areas uh, of service. But I learned that in retail. And we expect that in in places, and we just don't get service much like that anymore. Uh, I know that there are some places who still do very well with customer service, but there are a lot of places that are, are lacking. And you can mill around sometimes in a store, and I'm the type, I don't know, maybe it's too much pride. I don't like to go up to the salesperson unless I absolutely have to. But isn't it nice when someone comes out of their way who's wearing the uniform for the place that you're in shopping and they come up to you and they say, how can I help you? Is there anything I can do for you? Uh, That's a a very nice thing. Um, Sometimes they're pushy salespeople, but many times they're just asking if there's anything they can do to to help us. And that's a a good customer service uh, quality to have. But Elijah is asking Elisha to ask him, what shall I do for thee? And here is a defining moment in a sense Elisha had determined had already determined earlier that he would not leave Elijah's side that day already Elisha had prepared himself and prepared his heart for this transition Elijah is about to leave he's about ready to step away Elisha didn't know everything He would learn very quickly what was going to happen. But Elisha was prepared. His heart was prepared. He was prepared by God, but he was a humble and willing servant of the Lord, having already left his home and family to follow Elijah. Now, as he's about to step into Elijah's role, Maybe Elisha did not understand exactly everything that was going on, but God had prepared him. And Elisha, as a willing, humble servant, was determined he was not going to leave Elijah's side that day. And this wasn't in pride. This was not Elisha thinking, hmm, Elijah was a really rich prophet. Oh, I bet you he's got a really big net worth. I'm sure that if he could get the crowds, I can get even more crowds. That wasn't at all. Elijah was not a wealthy man by the world's standards. Remember, John the Baptist came in the spirit and the power of Elijah. And John the Baptist was a man who was eating locusts and wild honey and was dressed in clothes made out of camel's hair. Elijah was a wilderness kind of guy. He was not a wealthy guy. He was not dressed in the wealthy robes and clothing and walking among the the palaces. Elijah was a down to earth, regular, average kind of guy who was used mighty of the Lord, mightily of the Lord, as a prophet of God, who humbly followed the Lord and served the Lord. And I believe every indication is that Elisha was only looking to continue that ministry for the Lord to be used of the Lord. So this question comes from a heart that's prepared, a heart that's willing, a heart that's desiring to see the Lord work and to continue to bring revival and bring the word of God and bring change and see God's people turn from their sin, turn from their idolatry, because what had Elijah just been used of the Lord to do to take on those prophets of Baal, 450 prophets of Baal, and he slew them and then was threatened by Jezebel. So the land had been steeped in this idolatry. In this idolatry of Baal was not just an idolatry with the altars and the groves and the different sacrifices, there was an immoral sexual perversion that was also a part of the Baal worship. And so there is a moral perversion as well as the idolatry in all of the pagan practices that went with it. So though there had been a great spiritual victory and 450 prophets of Baal were dead, there was still a lot of work to be done. There was still a lot of ministry. There was still a lot of preaching. There was still a lot of sin in the camp, in the land, that needed to be dealt with. And Elijah was prepared to ask this question or to receive this question and in turn to make a request. He knew it was Elijah's last day on earth. We saw that in verse number, or actually we we haven't looked there, but back in verse number three, and the sons of the prophets that were at Bethel came forth to Elisha and said unto him, knowest thou that the Lord will take away thy master from thy head today? And he said, yea, I know it, hold ye your peace. So he knew this was Elijah's last day. So how does he respond to this significant question? A question prompted by Elijah, Elisha being prepared to Make this request. And what does he ask for? A double portion of Elijah's spirit. Now, what does that mean? Okay, could it mean that he was going to be Elijah's successor? Is that all it meant? Can I be your successor? Can I fulfill your, 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 your call to be a prophet of God? Can I step into your role? Okay, that's a possibility, and maybe that's again part of, uh, of course, what Elijah was wanting to do in having the call of God on his life as a prophet. But it's more than that. Was it that he was just simply asking for a double share of Elijah's inheritance? We don't know much about Elijah's family as far as any firstborn children. Apparently, uh, from what we know is recorded in Scripture. uh, There doesn't seem to be any inheritance that he's passing on to a firstborn son. So is Elisha saying, I'm your spiritual son. Can I have a double portion of your material possessions, your inheritance, your land, your net worth, your net value, whatever you have materially? As earthly possessions, can I have a double portion of that? I don't think that's really what he's asking for. Was he asking Elijah, give me the ability, with the Lord's help, to do twice as many miracles as you? Now, would Elisha do twice as many miracles as Elijah, from what we understand in recorded scripture? He did. He did do twice as many miracles. But I believe that Elisha was asking for more than just a quantity of miracles that he could do that would be greater than Elijah's. I believe Elisha is prepared. I believe that his desire is to honor the Lord and to serve the Lord. And so this request was about God blessing him with spiritual power to go above and beyond his own meager abilities in order to fulfill his prophetic duties and responsibilities. I can't help but think that Elisha sensed that he had a lot of work to do in the ministry of our Lord. Israel was still in the idolatry of Baal. There was still the immoral practices. Yes, there had been a great victory by Elijah. Yes, there had been a defeat of the leadership as far as the priests, but there was still Jezebel. There was still Ahab to deal with. There was still the sin and the habits of the land and the immorality and the pagan practices along with the idolatry and the sacrifices to Baal. Elisha knew that there was a great need for the spirit of God, for the power of God in that land. And he wanted to be used of God to reach the nation of Israel with the truth of God's word, that they might repent of their sin, that there might be revival in the land, that it not just be a Mount Carmel experience. Yes, that was important. That was needed. But that it would manifest itself in the day to day living in the putting off of the idolatry and the putting away of the immorality and of restoring once again the true worship of God, the Lord God, Jehovah, as they promised that they would do under Moses and are now beginning to suffer as they had already a famine as Elijah went to the brook. And was fed by the ravens because there was no rain and there had been famine. There had been droughts. And we know what kind of society that they lived in, an agrarian agricultural society. And many of you who farm and plant gardens, what happens when you don't get rain? When you don't get, and we have all kinds of irrigation systems that, and sprinkler systems that they didn't have. It doesn't rain, there's famine. There's drought. There's no food. There's not clean water like we have today where we can go and we can buy a 24-pack or a 40-pack of bottled water. That was probably from a drinking hose in Peru, Indiana. <laughs> but we don't, we don't even think about it. We just go and we buy bottled water if we don't like the taste of our water at home. And we have it everywhere, plus all the other options. Including all these energy drinks that people can buy, and now it's three dollars for or four dollars for a boost of caffeine with some I don't know ginseng or something in it to, to 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 give us a little jolt. You can go and buy these capsules for five-hour energy, and I mean it's just amazing what what people. Seem to need now to be able to continue to, to be able to get energy. But they didn't have any of those kinds of options. And Israel had suffered. And I wonder sometimes, what is it going to take for America to turn back to God? Is America ever going to turn back to God? I don't know what's coming. I, I, obviously, I want the rapture to come. I want uh, the Lord to take us home. But the trajectory of our nation right now is not good. Israel is on a trajectory to God's judgment. Elisha sees that Elijah is going away. He wants a double portion of Elijah's spirits. The sense of, I want to be used of the Lord. God, give me your power. This is a big job. This is a huge ministry. The land is full of immorality. The land is full of idolatry. Yes, we've seen your victory on Mount Carmel. Elijah has served you faithfully. We know that there are 7,000 men who have not bowed their knee to Baal. I want to lead them. I want to preach the word of God. I want to preach the gospel. I believe that is what Elisha is asking for. And if we look at John the Baptist and the comparison and the zeal in which John the Baptist preached and the way that God used John the Baptist, think about what God would do with Elisha. And we don't have time to go through all of Elisha's life and how God used him. But notice in verse number 10. And he said, thou hast asked a hard thing. Nevertheless. If thou see me when I am taken from thee, it shall be so unto thee. But if not, it shall not be so. What Elisha had asked for, only God could give. And it would take sacrifice. It would take service. It would take humility. And it would take dedication with total dependence upon the Lord. I wonder sometimes if we are ineffective... And we are complacent. And we are not seeing the spirit and the power of God in our lives and in our churches and in our homes. Because we don't desire it like Elisha. We don't have the the zeal. We don't have the determination. We don't have the dedication. We don't have the sacrifice. Oh, Lord, bless me. Oh, Lord, take away all the sin. But uh, I'm not sure I can go out of my way to spend any extra time in prayer or Bible study or church attendance. I don't know if I can really say no to my, my child who is doing something that I know is sinful. I don't want to be that kind of a parent. I don't, know. I don't know if I can witness or evangelize in that way. That That's asking a lot. I mean, I might be thought of as a weirdo, Jesus freak. I might be one of those, those people that they spray paint his house and call him a transphobe or whatever. I'm not saying we, we have those legitimate fears about somebody actually vandalizing our house, but we're fearful, aren't we? Do you think Elisha had fear in the world in which he was living? He's getting ready to take on Elijah's role who has got a bullseye on his back by Queen Jezebel. Evil, wicked Jezebel. You know any... I'm not saying... If you know anybody by the name Jezebel, you don't probably because that name is not recognized as a good name. But we've probably met some Jezebels through the years. We know some Jezebels and some of them are in places of politics and and, in places of leadership. He's going to step into Elijah's role and he's got a bullseye on his back and he's saying, Lord, it's going to be hard. Elijah even says, Elisha, this is a hard thing. But if you really want it, stay by my side. And if you watch me go to heaven, then may the Lord grant this. And it was a spiritual response from Elisha. I want God to use me. This is a hard thing. Because when we pray that prayer, God sometimes brings trials maybe persecution, maybe a challenge, and it tests us. The disciples wanted to take up their cross and follow the Lord, and thankfully they did, and they served, and yet God would take them, Jesus would send them off into a boat into the Sea of Galilee, and there would be a storm, and he would test them. And they would have to demonstrate their faith. They would have to grow up in their faith, Elisha is going to have some challenges and he is prepared by God and he is willing and he sticks by Elijah's side and God says, or excuse me, Elisha says from from the Lord, a message from the Lord, if you see me go into heaven, this will be your sign that God will grant you this desire to have a double portion of my spirit. So. They continued to walk along. And we read here, as as Derek read just a few moments ago, verse 11. And it came to pass, as they still went on and talked, that behold, there appeared a chariot of fire and horses of fire and parted them both asunder. And Elijah went up by a whirlwind into heaven. And Elisha saw it, and he cried, My father, my father, the chariot of Israel and the horsemen thereof. And he saw him no more, and he took hold of his own clothes, and rent them in two pieces. What an, what an incredible sight. He cries out, my father, my father, and he tears his robe. He rents his robe into two pieces. It was such, it was such an astonishment. It was so overwhelming. And God gave Elisha a little glimpse of heaven that day. And I can't, I can't help but think of these verses. Matthew 5 and verse 8, Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Hebrews 12 and verse number 2, Looking unto Jesus, the author and the finisher of our faith. Hebrews 12 and verse 14, Follow peace with all men and holiness, without which no man shall see the Lord. And 2 Corinthians 4 and verse 18, While we look not at the things which are seen, but at the things which are not seen. For the things which are seen are temporal, but the things which are not seen are eternal. What did Elisha have to see in order for him to experience, to have, to know a double portion of Elijah's spirit, a spirit that had been given to him by God? What did Elisha have to see? He had to see the eternal. He had to get a glimpse of heaven. He had to have the glory of Christ, the glory of God, penetrate his heart. And that's one of the things that is lacking in our lives. We don't have a view on the eternal. How do we ever see the glory of God work in our church, in our homes, in our lives, in our communities, in our culture? If we're stuck on this temporal planet, focused on the things that will pass away, that rust and moth doth corrupt and thieves break through and steal. How was Elisha going to experience a double portion of Elijah's spirit? By seeing the eternal. By seeing the chariot of fire. By having a view of the eternal and it gripping his heart. And so Elijah's ministry is all about God. It's all about the eternal. It's all about seeing beyond this life. And God uses him. And so many times we don't see God, we don't look unto Jesus, we don't have the holiness, we don't have the peace, because our eyes are not on the Lord. Now, are we looking for an experience? That's the wrong view. At the same time, we want God to work in our hearts and our lives. But where do we go For God to work in our lives. We go to the word. We can't expect to see what Elisha did. (laughs) We're not going to go out from here and be looking for a chariot of fire. We might go home and watch chariots of fire, but we're not going to go home or look up into the sky. I understand there was a meteorite that left a sonic boom and a flash of light somewhere north of Indianapolis. I think they saw it as far north as Cicero. Cicero. And there was a ring doorbell that saw a video, uh had a video of a flash of light and a meteorite apparently entered the Earth's atmosphere and exploded and, and there was a sonic boom and it was heard all around central Indiana apparently. Is that what we're waiting for? Oh Lord, send me a meteorite. Wake me up with a sonic boom, and then I'll know. That's that's not the point. In that dispensation, there would be times where there'd be visions, there'd be signs, there'd be wonders. But where are we going to see God in his word? And that's where we are reminded in 2 Peter chapter 1 that we have a more sure word of prophecy. We have the word of God. But are we not called to see the glory of God in his word? That God might use us? That we might see God do a work in our lives, in our homes, our families, in our church? in the places that God has called us to, to serve him. So this brings us to a question. Elijah appeared with Moses at the Mount of Transfiguration. Why Elijah? Why Moses? I can't say dogmatically, I know for sure, but I do think it's interesting that these men could very likely be representative of the law And the prophets, the entire Old Testament, the scripture. So once again, what does Christ bring us back to? The word of God, the inspiration and the authority of the word of God. So what about Revelation 11 and verse three? What has been the speculation? Elijah, he never experienced death. Enoch never experienced death is appointed a man once to die and after this the judgment so could it be the two witnesses in Revelation or Elijah and Enoch could be possibly could be I don't think that that's too wrong of a of a, of a thought uh, very well could be that those two men are the ones who God sends in Revelation 11 to be those two witnesses who are then eventually slain in the streets I don't think that that is being overly speculative But we close tonight. This is just one artist's rendition, but I love Matt Recker. He's a church planner in New York City. Had the opportunity to visit his church up in one of the sky rises. I don't know if his church is still meeting in that place, but years ago I got to go on a mission trip to New York City, and I got to go up several floors to Matt Recker's church there in the heart of New York City, on on Manhattan Island, and. He, in his book, where he speaks about this particular event in Elijah and Elisha's lives, he makes this statement. He says, "An eternal focus opens one, opens one's eyes to understand the true nature of life." And as we have spent time going through the series on prophecy, I hope and pray that it has drawn our hearts and our attention and our minds to the eternal. Once again, that we are just pilgrims, that we are just strangers, that we are sojourners and that our citizenship is in heaven. And we as we are saying, even so come Lord Jesus. We are also saying like the Apostle Paul, for to me to live is Christ and to die is gain. And Elijah got to go on into glory. In some ways, I can't help but think Elisha was saying boy, I wish I could have gone with him. The chariot of fire and the whirlwind of fire, probably representative of God's protection, God's power, God's judgment, God's holiness and purity. All that is probably symbolic. But Elisha caught a glimpse of heaven and no doubt he wanted to go with Elijah, but at the same time, what did he know? God had called him to a place. He had asked for a double portion of Elijah's spirit, knowing that that could only come from God. And he said, right now, in this place, as much as I look forward to joining Elijah one day in heaven, God has called me to this place. How can I serve him? Can I have the glory of the Lord? I have a calling from God that is above and beyond my ability to do. And sometimes that's where God has to put us. If we're humble enough and contrite enough to recognize it, that's exactly where God wants us to be. Because then, when we humble ourselves in the sight of the Lord, then He does the lifting up. He does the heavy lifting. So as we've gone through this series, I hope that it has been a help, it has been encouragement to us, and I hope that it has once again renewed our focus on the eternal. And may we have the desire that Elisha had to have the Spirit of the Lord at work in our hearts and our lives that we might be used of the Lord in ways even above and beyond what we could even ask or think and see God do a mighty work see God do miracles not in a miracle working power laying on of hands kind of power but God doing miracles in lives in our life and in the in our homes and our children and in the places that He allows us to serve him where we apply the truths of his word and live obedient and faithfully by the Holy Spirit's control, by his spirit. And may we see the victories that Elijah and Elisha had in our dispensation, not the same, you know, exactly like they had in their dispensation, but see spiritual victories in our lives and see God's power at work in our own life and in our homes and our families and wherever God has called us and in our church. And I pray that, not just because we're having special meetings next Sunday and into the beginning part of the following week, though I hope and pray that God will light a fire in a sense in our souls and our bellies in our hearts and our minds through a spring revival, but may it even be a renewal once again to every day, Lord, how can you use me? Lord, may my life be in your control, and may we see God do a great work like he did with Elijah and Elisha. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for your word. Thank you, Lord, for this series that we have spent quite a bit of time on in looking at prophecy. And Lord, as we see Elijah in this passage go into glory and Elisha desiring to be used of you, Lord, may we have that same attitude, may we have that same spirit, may we see your resurrection power be effective in our lives for your glory, that we might see changes in our hearts and our minds and our homes and our families and our personal lives, and may we impact the community around us and be effective in our evangelism and our obedience and our faithfulness to you. We thank you, Lord, for this great text that teaches us so much. And, Lord, may our hearts and our minds be on the eternal and not be wrapped up in things here on the earth. Though, Lord, you have called us to this time and to this place, may we be effective servants for you. And like the Apostle Paul, Lord, we know to live is Christ and to die is gain. And, Lord, as we pray, even so, Lord, come quickly. May, Lord, we occupy faithfully till you come. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Derek's going to come and lead us in...